What is going on everyone? Anthony Drew Gary here, host of the How To Show, where we talk about optimizing life, money, and happiness, one how-to at a time. On this week's show, I'm going to do my best to talk over the thunderstorms that are going on outside, but I've got a really cool special guest for this week. His name's Riley Hitchcock. He and I met uh, through a, a past employer, but that, that's also a past employer of his as well. And I, I want to tell Riley's story of the opportunity to, to pivot in career in such a way that gives new opportunities to, to you. And, and I really want to dive into his story about how he went from being in commercial real estate leasing to now working for a tech company. It's not lost on anybody that there's a lot of unemployment and frankly a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. And so giving this sort of story on how to make a career pivot I think is valuable so that, that you know you can see that what Riley did is replicable. And I don't want to give too much of his story away. So without further ado, let's switch over and bring on Riley. Riley, welcome to the How To Show. Anthony, super pumped to be here. Uh, excited for this first time doing one of these so uh, hope I can get back where Fan I can. fantastic my man so we're gonna spend some time talking about how to make a career pivot but in order to understand that better we need to know a little bit of where you came from and, and how you got started in your career so that we know where you started and we'll we'll later know where you where you ended up yeah absolutely and it's it's kind of great to be having this conversation because this isn't kind of the first move I've made uh, you know, just generally went to, went to school of Florida, uh, you know, had a rough go at it after my second or third year, uh, had to take some time off, really reevaluate. I think a lot of folks uh, have that kind of experience going through college, took two years, thought I knew it all, went, did some odd in jobs and finally like kind of re recorrected course or corrected course, if you will, and went back to school, hunkered down. Felt like I was an old man amongst all the 18 and 19 year olds at 21 and uh, busted my butt for a year and a half. Finished my degree, got in in sport management, uh, had a, an internship with the Golf Channel, was super pumped, grew up playing golf, dream job, but realized real quickly that sitting in an office, not talking to people, putting numbers into a computer was not overly exciting, it was not me. Uh, made a pivot uh, to chase my brother a little bit in golf, and kind of just chase, chase the dream. That gets expensive quickly. So made the pivot into real estate. My mom was in the hotel business, timeshares growing up. Uh, a girl I was dating at the time was in the business. And I said, I, I can do this. Let me go get my real estate license. I'll take a shot at it. And, and let me run with this. So that was kind of the first big move into the business. Uh, and just really had to teach myself. Worked for a small brokerage, uh, you know, cut my teeth, showing small shop space, handling cold leads, knocking on doors, and was able to really parlay that into an opportunity at, uh, at Sembler in St. Petersburg. And I like to call it that opportunity because that interview was interesting. I'd only been in the business for a year and a half, really had no experience, but made it a point to drive all the way from Orlando to St. Pete to meet with the hiring manager. And I really think that that was a watershed moment because he said, listen, this kid's hungry, he wants it, and, and we'll teach him. Uh, from there, you know, I really kind of uh, scaled up there. Um, parlayed that into a job with Westfield. Spent some time doing kiosks, specialty leasing, the carts and things you see in the mall for those that walk the mall. 
uh, wanted to make a move in per back into permanent leasing, jumped to uh, DDR at the time, and uh, spent some spent two years there, and then uh, was with Simon for uh, about 18 months before really making that, uh, that complete shift into technology. Got it. So you've been playing with, uh, at least for the last several years, we're talking big companies, and so your experiences have... Uh, have really started to influence some of the things that uh, that you were able to do. So talk to me, what, what was the most rewarding part about the whole real estate uh, experience as a, a job function? What did you like to do? And uh, talk to me about how it went. Yeah, I think it was really the relationship piece. I remember, I still remember my first deal in the business was with a dog salon um, and a groomer. She was working in a local uh, dog salon, wanted to open her own store, worked with her on the, on the rent and the terms, signed the lease even at her house in her own living room. And I'll never forget that today. So that's really what I enjoyed about it, it was all the relationships I built. I enjoyed working for the small brokerage, five-man shop. I got the experience working for a privately held uh, developer and assembler, uh, really had a lot of clout in the business, a 50-year-old company. But then got that experience really from each vertical when you're working for the Westfields and Simons in the world, collaborating with tenant coordination, with operations, with management, with finance and legal, uh, you know, and I think that as you're, as you're progressing, don't, don't discount the, the opportunity to work for a major corporation, even if you find your niche is a little bit more tailored toward the smaller, smaller organization. But really, it was those relationships, Gary, and the ICS events. Who doesn't like those? I feel bad that uh, our brethren in the business uh, are going to miss out on those this year. Sure. So the, the opportunities to meet people and get things done, completely understand uh, why that would be intriguing to you. So when, uh, when push comes to shove, you, you end up making a career change, and you get yourself into big tech. And so how did that start to happen? What were the, the writing on the wall that you wanted to make a change and and how specifically did you did you settle on on a tech job? Yeah, it's a great question because it's such a cataclysmic shift. But no difference than it was making the move from a sports related job to to real estate. I think it was at Westfield, probably in about two thousand six, two thousand fifteen, uh, that I kind of just started to feel the dynamic of retail really beginning to change. And not only that shift due to the e-commerce piece that everybody was talking about, but really at a macro level, I started to look at, you know, we're really over, there's too much retail space in America. Retailers were overstored. Those retailers that had been opening hundreds of stores a year weren't doing it anymore. The mom and pops were kind of going away. Downward pressure from rents. Uh, you've got compressing margins. Uh, just a ton of things from a macro level. But I think a real watershed moment was uh, when I made that move to DDR, April 2017, we got new leadership. We were expecting the company to really uh, grow, take a, take a turn. It was on a downward trend. We were selling properties. We really thought this new leadership that came over was going was gonna to right the ship. And within the first month, they laid off 70 people. And that, to me, was kind of that, that aha moment of this, this is tough. This is going to get tough. And I knew the bloodshed wasn't going to end there. And I said, I need to be thinking about where my career is going to go for the next 30 years. Um, so that was, that was really, really kind of the impetus for starting to think about that change. Got it. That, that's good stuff. So when, when you start to think about moving into a new industry, 
Did, did you rely back on relationships uh, of, of different sorts? How did you find yourself in a level of proximity to the business that you were looking to go toward? Yeah, you know, I kind of look back that I've grown up in this era that's massively transitioning, right? I was 16 when, uh, when 2000 hit. And I think back to the dot-com era and all of this, of the internet becoming a thing, technology and all the automation. I just remember training sales reps, moving from a manual written ticket slip to a digital POS system at 16, 17 years old, training people that were two or three times older than me. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but really, I've always had a passion for the Salesforce product. I use it across Westfield, use it across DDR. I was actually fortunate enough to meet uh, a man named Greg Olzik, who at the time was with Oracle. This is back in probably about 2014 when I was uh, with my wife. He's one of her good friends, dance, and really got to know him uh, at a few functions and events. And small talk, you know, in passing, but then... It was kind of at that point where, hey, let's have a little bit more conversation. I learned he worked for Salesforce. I wore him out for three hours. That was probably back in 2000, 2016. I told him from my, my passion for the product, how it helped me become extremely successful uh, as a salesperson. And so we just started discussing opportunities at Salesforce. You know, at that moment, I was, I was doing well with DDR. Uh, even after the layoffs, I was number two leasing rep for the year in 2017. I was number two, number one in first quarter of 18, and then I got the ax into April of 2017. Even as successful as I had been, uh, I, I knew at that moment that it was really time to try to make a shift. So I called Greg. We had been talking about an opportunity. He said, I don't have anything for you right now, but I can get you an interview. He did that. Uh, unfortunately, it was one of those things where I didn't have three or four months to wait. As a, a man with two young kids, a wife not working, I needed something immediately. So, but I, but I think I want to elaborate on this a little bit more to the importance of those relationships I've built. I made two phone calls. I had two interviews with two of my former bosses from Westfield. The next week, uh, I made that post on, on LinkedIn. It garnered a lot of interest. Uh, I at least was able to kind of make that move to Simon, stay in the business. It was tough to transition my family to Atlanta, but, uh, you know, it worked out. So I think that what we can draw from this is that using relationships that you've already built are going to continue to, to at least pay some sort of dividend in the sense that when, when somebody meets Riley, they don't meet him for one day. There, there's an, an everlasting opportunity to reconnect with those folks. Absolutely. And I think about that opportunity that I, when I connected with Greg, the opportunity wasn't there, but what I did, I kept looking, I kept applying, I kept wanting to make that move to Salesforce. I kept it top of mind, and it just happenstance back in August of last year. Greg posted he had, some, he had an opportunity on his team. I, I made the phone call. He said, perfect, I can get you through to HR. I can get you to the interviews. You're going to have to really step up because this is a role that's somewhat sales support, but it's also very technical in nature. Okay, Let, let's build on that a little bit more. So when you were in, in commercial real estate, you were a Salesforce user. And so how does that necessarily translate from being a Salesforce user to being somebody that works on the Salesforce team? Are, are you already inherently qualified for those types of skills because you're familiar with the product or is there some sort of training that you had to do to get yourself qualified? Just walk me through how somebody might be able to replicate the types of things that you did. I think very specifically, I, 
I love the product and I love being a power user of it. I found, I found kind of a niche there and I partnered with my Salesforce admins at both Westfield and DDR to kind of get a little bit more access, go a little bit deeper in the product, understand the technical side of it a little bit. But when I went through that interview process, I, I kind of had to lean on the value I was going to bring historically. You know, all of those things that I learned as a salesperson, all that relationship uh, building, all those skills that, that really I could carry over and then kind of really sell myself on, I'm a lifelong learner. I got my MBA, I went back to school. I chose that over, a, over the CCIM or an MSRE, really because I saw myself transitioning at some point. But I knew that would be more valuable and more flexible if I ever really decided to make that career change. And I can tell you, I probably wouldn't be at Salesforce if it wasn't for that, because it really spoke to my desire to continue as a lifelong learner. That's a fantastic answer to that. And I can completely understand where you're coming from. You know, as a, as a career changer myself, currently in an MBA program, I, I get the same sort of sentiments there is just to, to continue to make yourself maybe 1% better than you were yesterday, several percent better than you were the year before. It's all a, a snowball effect of experiences that can get you opportunities, maybe beyond what, uh, what you may have even dreamed about a couple of years ago. You're absolutely, absolutely right, Gary. And I've heard all the arguments as I'm sure you have, why are you getting your MBA? It's a waste of money. It's not going to get, get you anywhere. The ROI is not going to be there. And my really biggest piece of advice to those naysayers, which are anybody out there is, Whatever your median is, whether it's an MBA, I mean, certificates are becoming overly popular. You can do three or four classes. Is it a conference? Is it a two-day personal development or career development program that you, that you go through? My personal goal was to get an MBA when I went back to my undergrad, so that's the direction I, I took. But uh, moral of the story is just, just be a lifelong learner, whatever median uh, you choose. Absolutely. And I think that if you can take a, an approach of being a lifelong learner and multiply that by the fact of maintaining lifelong relationships, you can get some, some economies of scale there that are way bigger than maybe focusing on either one individually. Absolutely. And coming over to Salesforce, you know, I, I knew I was going to be a little bit of the underdog. And, you know, I think everybody can appreciate that, that desire to, to dive in, learn something new, carry over all those skills that they had, but not be afraid to, uh, to embrace change. I've always had this mantra of change is inevitable, you might as well embrace it. So to be kind of status quo, stagnant, thinking things aren't going to get shook up uh, and that you're not going to have to be dynamic uh, you know, is a mistake. Yeah, I think that's completely relevant, especially in the state of the world we're in right now. You know, we're seeing unemployment numbers that just continue to, to top charts each and every week when, when those numbers are published. And so being able to, to make these sorts of pivots and to sell your previous skills as, as new opportunities or ways to transfer them, I think it's really positive. So talk to me a little bit about what you're doing right now for Salesforce and, and maybe how you're using some of the skills that you had uh, in your day-to-day -day life now. Yeah, I think it's really important to, to highlight Salesforce's team selling environment. So although we have account executives that are more of those frontline sales persons, you've got folks like me in a sales engineer or solutions engineer role. A little bit sales, but a little bit uh, technical. So really have to be kind of product experts, but are there really kind of driving those C-level conversations, really understanding the business processes, mapping those back to our solutions and being the technical experts, but also really being that trusted advisor uh, that those, those businesses are looking to 
and that you need that relationship and that rapport and understand how that works. So not being so introverted that you're so technical, you're so programmatic, but understanding that you need to understand how to manage relationships, how to build those, how to build that trust, I think was a big thing that I can lean on. And, uh, you know, I can tell you I've had to run hard and fast at reskilling. Uh, I've managed to achieve a couple Salesforce certifications in my eight months with the company. Uh, it's similar to a, a, a real estate certification. I'm sure we're all used to those 60 hour classes, go take a, a state exam. But uh, I think it kind of validates, um, you know, that you're, you're moving in the right direction and you're trying to skill up in a, uh, a systematic way. Got it. And I think it's worth noting that you were able to get an opportunity to, to show what you can do with this company, maybe before you got some of those certifications and, and just a, as a good faith effort that, uh, that they were willing to take a chance on you and you were willing to learn. I think ultimately it worked out well for everyone. No, it, it certainly has. And I kind of came in with it uh, because Greg gave me that opportunity. I said, I've got, I'm not going to let somebody down. But in addition, because I've been given that opportunity, I certainly want to get back. I'm mentoring a, a, a young kid out of uh, Chicago. He's uh, in an MBA program in Northwestern, but he has a passion for the product. He wants to learn it. He wants to get in with Salesforce. Listen, we take a million applications a year, but I want to try to get back. So if I, if I can take a phone call, give somebody a piece of advice, give them some direction, try to help them get an interview. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I want to do that because uh, folks have done it for me. Absolutely. I've, I've heard before that if you, uh, if you manage to, to climb the, uh, the elevator of success, be sure to send the car back down afterward. And I, I think it's absolutely appropriate. I love that. Absolutely. So talk to me about your, your family life a little bit. You know, you mentioned kids. Uh, when, when you start to think about a complete career change, I, I think personally that having the support of your, your family or, or those that are around you that are uh, basically speaking speaking love into your life are, are important to, to make sure that, that you're having those conversations to ensure that you're going to have the support you need when making a big transition like this. Talk to me about, talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, it's certainly something you've got to take into consideration, but you really kind of take, need to take stock of where you're at and your, your, not only your professional life, but your personal life. How are they intertwined? We're becoming so much more, it's not work-life balance anymore with technology, it's work-life blend. So it's really interesting, how is your professional life affecting your personal, and what does that look like? And I can tell you that it was challenging when we first moved to Atlanta. I had, a, I had an hour and a half drive to the office, an hour and a half back. Uh, you know, I was leaving before my kids would wake up. I'd sometimes be home when they were asleep. And, you know, that really ate into the dynamic. No matter how good or bad of an opportunity it may have been, uh, you know, I think I really took a lot of value and said, even making this transition into technology where I'm going to have to take a little bit of a step back, going to have to take a little bit of a pay cut, but the gain that I'm going to get from having the ability to work home, be around my kids when I wake, when they wake up in the morning, be there to talk them in at night, be there for dinner. I think, you know, really says that they were supportive of that. Even if we were going to have to make a little bit of adjustments in lifestyle, but it meant so much more at this point in my life than trying to jockey to, climb the, career, uh, the corporate ladder. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're, I'm doing great personally and professionally. That's all I can say. Well, fantastic. Yeah. I think that's a good way to frame that is that you have to, to understand what's important to you in, in order to start to frame, uh, what, what sort of moves that you make like that. And so I, I think that, that what you did there is, is commendable. 
But uh, if we were to think about this a different way over the course of not one career pivot, but two career pivots, if there was something that you wish you would have learned ahead of time or, or some experience that you wish maybe would have gone a different way, what, uh, what experience could you have probably given to your past self or maybe somebody that's listening that's about to go into this experience of making a career pivot? What's something that you needed to know that you didn't? Yeah, you know, I took, I really took a page out of Gary Vee's book and hate him, love him or hate him. Uh, you know, he's got some good advice. And one thing he told me that really resonated about a, about a year and a half ago was don't spend two years at a company, you know, within the first two weeks you shouldn't be at. And I, I think that you've really got to take a lot more stock when you're looking at organizations and interview them. Don't go work somewhere just because you think it's the place to be or because it's the mothership and you're going to make more money because I can tell you culture is becoming so much more important. Um, you know, for, from a professional life, from a personal life, uh, just, to, just evaluate the companies you're looking at is what I would say. Don't let the almighty dollar uh, blind you. Yeah, I, I think that that's great advice. And I, I can see where in a situation like we might be in now where where jobs may be hard to come by, uh, or at least job openings. But I, I think it's important that you still want to frame the, the hunt in such a way that you are interviewing the company that you're about to work for as much as they are interviewing you to make sure it's a good fit. And so I think that's great advice. And so as a, an overarching uh, thought to this, the sort of conversation that we're having, is what you did, Riley, is it replicable? Can somebody else do what you did? I absolutely say yes. I, I will say it took me time. It took reaching out to those relationships. It's almost crafting a little bit of a plan B. Uh, you know, if you're thinking about making that pivot, find out how you can skill up, find out how you can, uh, you know, maybe again, it's a certification, maybe it's a, a nine month class, maybe it's a degree program, whatever that is. Uh, don't be afraid to get out there and skill up in that regard. And then go to those industry events. Uh, find the ones that are local to you. Obviously, we're in uh, interesting times right now, but I know there's a lot of things going on virtually. And just build those relationships, network, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, you know, however you're going to do it. But really make it uh, a point to, to formulate that plan B. Don't get so focused on woe is me and plan A. And then, uh, you know, you, you kind of get thwarted in a time like this where the world seems to be falling apart and you're you're scrambling for what that plan b could be yeah but it's yeah, I, absolutely replicable you can absolutely go out there reskill yourself everybody's smart there's the resources are there there's a lot of free trainings there's a lot of ways to do it uh, if, where there's a will there's a way right gary uh, that's right and I, I think that you continue to hit on some some key takeaways from this episode is that you continue to be a lifelong learner you continue to be a, a lifelong connector of people and the two will multiply together and so that that's really great stuff and so Riley what do you think about switching gears a little bit with me now we're going to take a pivot in this episode and for the first time ever we're going to do some rapid style questions are you ready for the how-to cues Let's rock and roll. All right. Question number one, what is the best book you've read in the last 12 months? Uh, the Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Uh, I picked that up probably about the first of the year. Uh, I read the uh, Eaters Lee last and start with why from him. So it's just a natural progression to, to read that. It's really just about thinking about the long game. Don't get so short-sighted. Uh, you know, and worry about next month or next quarter, but think about how you're playing that long game, both in your personal and professional life. Highly recommended. 
You bet. And I'll link to that book in the, the show's notes and basically everything that Simon touches to, turns to gold. He's like the King Midas of our modern day. So that's a great recommendation. So question two, give me one podcast you're subscribed to. I am subscribed to the Action Network. Uh, it's pretty much everything sports and fantasy. I love the golf podcast with Peter Jennings and Steve Sobel and uh, you know, they're, they bring in some of the PGA Tour players when sports is actually going on. But uh, that's that's my uh, – when I do go to the office, that's what I put on. It's fun to, fun to listen to. So, Awesome. All right, question three. What is the best purchase uh, of recent memory for less than $100 that you've made? Uh, you know, I got my uh, kids two new life jackets. They've had those little orange ones, and they got to pick out their – pink one for my daughter and my son got like a blue and a red one and they're just loving it. So it's, that's what I, whatever makes them happy. That makes me happy. Uh, that's fantastic. And that's got memories built in it for years. Awesome. What time did you get up this morning? Uh, I got up at 7am. That's usually kind of my cue. I'm not a morning person. I'm a night owl. I'll stay up till 11, 12, one o'clock sometimes. Uh, admittedly, my son came in and laid with me this morning. So I was there until about 1115. Awesome. What color is your toothbrush? Uh, it, it's white. It's uh, an Oral-B electric. I've had awesome. it. I don't know why about it. All right. This is just for fun, just to see how many people answer, actually know the answer to that question. <laughs> and my final question, if anyone wants to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me at Riley Hitchcock. I'm at, uh, on Twitter at Dopey1Solution. Uh, that's the number one. And then, I mean, email me, call me. My info's out there. I'm happy to help, happy to connect, uh, happy to just chat. Awesome, Riley. I appreciate you joining me on the show. Anthony, appreciate it. Thanks for the time. All right. Special thanks again to Riley Hitchcock for joining me on this episode of the show. That is going to bring this episode of the show to a close. As always, if you would, subscribe to my channel. You can be the first to know about new content when it comes out. And if you hit the notification bell, you'll, you'll be notified when new videos hit each and every Wednesday. And if you haven't done it already, you know it's not too late to smash that like button for the YouTube algorithm. It'll let people and YouTube know that this is a video that you got value from and it's a video worth watching. And if you have an idea for a future topic on the show or you want to leave some comments on this episode of the show, please leave me a comment for all of those different types of things. Uh, I engage with all of my comments, and so it's a good place to have an interaction and let people know what you're thinking about the show. Until next time, this is Anthony Drew Gary, host of The How-To Show, signing off.